science that's fun and exciting and, and, and kind of why some of us get into science uh, to begin with. I'm a hydrogeologist. I work typically with groundwater. Uh, groundwater moves very slow, and we have very applied sort of problems. And so I had this opportunity to get involved in this project with, a, uh, with sort of this big asteroid impact and cataclysmic events and things. So it was, it was all... Uh, it was all very exciting to me, almost this kind of boyhood excitement of, of being involved in this kind of a project. So I just thought I'd share with you um, um, some, of the, some of the things that we uh, discovered while uh, doing a deep drilling project um, into the Chesapeake Bay Impact Crater. Most people aren't, uh, a lot of people are not aware of this, but uh, about 35 million years ago, a, uh, an, a, an asteroid or a comet uh, about three kilometers in diameter, struck the Earth at uh, the southern end of the Chesapeake Bay, right there at the center of the, uh, the bullseye. And this was discovered about uh, 20 to 30 years ago now. And uh, the reason it was never discovered before is because it's covered over with about a 1,000 or more feet of, of coastal plain sediment. So there's nothing on the surface that would tell you that there's this giant impact crater uh, beneath the coastal plain. But um, people had known previously that they found these little um, tectites, they're called. They're little um, um, melt particles that fall out after one of these impacts. They're all over the, the, the North Atlantic um, uh, coastal areas. And uh, they knew somewhere in the area there was probably a large impact. They never quite knew where. Uh, but when they, when they first um, did some coring in this area, they found some, some peculiar uh, things in the sediment. They also did gravity surveys and seismic surveys and slowly began to pin together that there's this very large impact crater. So the, um, <clears throat> the U.S. Geological Survey, along with the International Continental Scientific Drilling Program, uh, the ICDP, which is the sister organization of the, um, the ODP or the IODP, the Ocean Drilling Program, which is more well known. They take the ships around the, the ocean and drill into the sediments and and determine the history of the ocean basins. They have a sister program called the International Sign uh, Continental Drilling Program. And so a lot of countries contribute money to this international fund, including the United States. The National Science Foundation contributes money to this fund. And so people propose drilling uh, targets. And one of the things we proposed was the center of the Chesapeake Bay impact crater. So this was uh, in cooperation with the USGS Department of Interior. So we got different sources of money from different uh, groups here, the geologic discipline, uh, the water resources discipline, because one of the, re the requirements of the drilling is that there's some sort of sociological um, benefit to uh, the results. And there are water resources issues in, in, in that area with, with population centers like Norfolk uh, that are concerned about the saline waters and the impact crater uh, affecting their water, uh, water resources. And also, uh, eventually, after uh, as we got toward the end of the drilling, uh, NASA is, was interested in this. They chipped in some money for a total price tag that was about $1.5 million. Uh, before we actually uh, were allowed to take the money and do the deep drilling, there were a couple requirements. First of all, you have to uh, do sort of a pilot hole, sort of a quick and shallow hole to make sure you really know what you're drilling into and you're not... Um, not just uh, had some wishful thinking. So uh, in 2004, we drilled this pilot hole um, near the town of Cape Charles there. 
And um, this is the sections we drill into. The, the, the top there is the post-impact sediments. Uh, what happens uh, in, this, in this impact crater, um, it's interesting because it was a marine impact. At the time, there was probably two to 300 meters of water on the continental shelf with coastal plain sediments. So it hit in water, uh, created massive tidal waves. Uh, the, the media got a hold of this idea. That's probably where the idea came from for that movie, uh, Deep Impact. What's it called? Deep Impact, right. You see the, the big asteroid hitting off the coast? I mean, that came out just a few years after this discovery, so that, that was all sort of tied in. And um, so what happens, though, is you, you have this, that, that map I showed you had sort of two circles. You had an outer circle and an inner circle. Well, the inner circle is where the, 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 the excavation really happened from the impact. But because it's under, you got all this weak coastal plain sediment here, as soon as you create a hole, all that sediment wants to collapse in towards the center. So it creates this, this um, all this sediment debris on top. So that's that middle section there, what we call the sediment class breccia. And finally, down at about 650 feet, we, we did get into some of the, uh, the melt-derived material from the impact itself. So this was, this was um, just sort of a first look, if you will, before the drilling. And, and another requirement is that you do some seismic work to sort of to put this into a regional perspective to, to, um, to help locate your target, but also in, in a lot of areas they're worried about dr drilling into to, um, unexpected gas or overpressured uh, things which can cause real problems for drilling, as we all know now with the Gulf Coast. That's not an issue here, but this was the seismic work that was done uh, beforehand. Uh, is there a pointer up here somewhere? Yes. I don't know if you can see the you know, It's kind of weak there. But uh, here's our pilot hole. This is the, the center of the uh, crater, and this seismic line went north. So you can see that sort of the interpretation of this, the seismic areas. This is a low area uh, in, in what we call the uh, annual trough of the crater because this crater, like some of the craters you see on the moon, if the impact is large enough, the crust actually rebounds within minutes after the impact so that the center of the crater actually uplifts like a, a, like a re, like you throw a pebble into the water and the, there, there's an actual rebound. So we call that the central uplift. And our pilot hole was drilled right there on the uh, central uplift. And here's the deepest part. And the community got together who was going to work on this and decided where do we want the hole. And they kind of voted on we want where the thickest section of, of crater deposits are. So the, the, the deep hole was drilled here farther to the north, about 10 or 11 kilometers, where we saw this deeper section of, of sediment. Um, this, is the, uh, the, yeah, this is the drill site. So the drill site occurred here on what was known as the Airville Peninsula, just north of Cape Charles. Here's the whole setup. It was uh, the drill rig that was tower that was brought in. We had to put up trailers. This is kind of the drilling trailer. This was the scientific trailer. The core comes out here. It's brought over here, washed off, and brought in and, and described immediately. And uh, my role was actually to take pour waters out of the, the cores. So I took samples out before they washed it, and we spun those in in the centrifuges to extract the pore waters to look at the chemistry profiles in the pore waters um, throughout the depth of the, of the core hole. Uh, so let me take you on some virtual drilling here, and we'll go down through the uh, section and see what we discovered as we went down. So first of all, the little numbers up here represent the depth 
where this came from in feet. So here we're at 1,200 feet. And this is, looks like the normal coastal plain sediments we see up and down the, the coastal plain. Feet below the surface of the water? No, here we're on land, so it's just below land surface, which is only 10 feet above the sea level. So um, it's below the land surface. Um, so this is kind of silt and clay type sediment you typically find on the coastal plain, very fine layered stuff that gets laid down very slowly. Um, as we go down deeper, now we're down in what we call the sediment class breccia. This is all the coastal plain material that, uh, that got washed in after the impact. You create these tidal waves, but you got this big hole and all the water washes back in with everything sort of all at once. So we get what we call this matrix material very poorly sorted material here that all the tidal resurge material brought in. We also get very large clasts of sediments that break up with the coastal plain coming in. Um, what happened though, we got down um, and we started moving from sediment, big large sediment class to igneous rock class that would, would have come from the basement that were broken up uh, from the impact. And we got into granite. Well, actually at about 3,500 feet, we got into granite. Well, this is great. We got this big granite piece of granite here that got blown out. But we kept drilling and we kept getting more and more granite, which was actually a concern because most places you drill, first you go through the sediment over burden cover and eventually you hit sort of basement and all you're ever gonna get is granite for you know kilometers on down. So after several hundred feet of granite, People were thinking, well, maybe we're, we really missed what we're looking for here. We're looking for the melt at the bottom. But actually, after 900 feet, we went out of granite back into sand. This was a 900-foot block of granite, probably from the edge of the crater that got pushed back in during the research. The granite itself is unshocked, so it's probably not from the center. It's probably from the rim. But that's, I mean, that's huge. It's, it's like a 10-story building square that's getting pushed around in this, in this kind of high-energy environment. Um, so this is where, actually, that place I was just telling you, we went from granite back into the sand. Everybody was thrilled. The uh, messages were going around the internet. We're back into sand, yay. So uh, then we did, did get into the uh, hot impact melt-type rocks. This is a very particular type of rock called a suavite. It's a breccia, which means it has very angular pieces in, but also within this thing are uh, actual melt, melted material from the heat of the impact. The heat of the impact is so great, in fact, from all the kinetic energy of this thing that most of the, the uh, asteroid itself is probably vaporized. And all that material and the vaporized crust gets all mixed together. And uh, the melt, some of the melt falls back down. Some of it resurges in into these deposits that we call suavites. So this is what the hot impact uh, deposits look like. Uh, very heterogeneous with all sorts of interesting class that have come from all over the crater area. Um, we got below this, we get into some more um, igneous and metamorphic sort of uh, blocks. This was a, a graphitic schist that turned out not to be shocked. Uh, so it's another probably one or multiple large uh, blocks that got uh, moved into the crater. This is the um, farther down, we're getting this, this very pink granite looking type rock called a pegmatite. This is toward the bottom. And um, while we were drilling, we ran into, they ran into some problems. Of course, you always run into problems drilling. It's never as perfect as you think it's going to go. 
So uh, when we were up in the sediments, they'd get sort of start getting stuck. They'd have to pull out a bit, uh, go back in. And of course, this takes extra time. Time is money. So just as we were getting down to that interesting material, you know, the, the accountants were, were adding it up and saying, we're out of money. Now what are we going to do? So at that point, it was about Thanksgiving. We had to go out for our Thanksgiving fund drive to try to please, please give us a few hundred thousand dollars more because we're just getting into the interesting stuff. So that's where NASA came and chipped in 100000 and and we got just enough money to get back and eventually got down here to, um, what was the final depth? About um, 5,800 feet, I think, was the final depth. Like here's the uh, sort of the summary of the whole thing. So about 1,700 meters was our deep. So we had the post-impact sediments, the uh, coastal plain sediment class breaches washing in. Here's our granite mega block. And uh, below that, these are the blue here is all the hot impact material. Another block, and below that, um, of course, we don't know. What we really needed was to go, of course, much deeper if we want to get into the very shocked basement rocks, which a lot of people would have liked to, but um, the money ran out, and that's where we ended up. The first results of this study were published in, um, in uh, Science in uh, 2008 here deep drilling into the Chesapeake Bay impact structure. Um, these, this looks kind of like an artistic view of what happened during the impact, but this was, these are actually snapshots from a numerical simulation um, um, from this reference. And uh, these are done um, uh, at the, at the uh, national labs by these high impact simulators that they use to simulate nuclear explosions because they need these really high pressure, high temperature Things. So they, they simulate an impactor here. What happens, you originally create this very deep cavity, which is like they estimate about five kilometers deep in a hole. That's kind of this transient crater because after a minute or two, the crust starts to respond. It, it's starting to behave plastically. You get the huge amount of ejecta. You get this curtain of material blowing out. This top little thin area is the water here, so you're creating tidal waves. Uh, surges of sediment, and then this stuff all comes resurging back um, in in about six minutes, if you can believe that. And after 10 to 15 minutes, incredibly, the entire uh, cavity could be filled again. So it's amazingly huge, cataclysmic, and very quick process. So there's a lot of different people that uh, worked on a lot of different aspects of this. There were dozens of scientists uh, from all over the world that came uh, with their own specialties. We had people interested in the crater stratigraphy, the post-impact stratigraphy, petrologists looking at shock features and um, the impact melt rocks, the geophysicists were doing seismic. Also, if you do gravity surveys of the area, because there's this deep section of sediment, uh, comes out as a gravity low. You can see it in the gravity. Uh, the paleontologists were looking at the microfossils, and this is kind of an interesting story at the beginning. Probably 50 years ago, they first dr drilled in this area, some of the deep areas, and the micropaleontologists were looking at, they wanted to look at the normal coastal plain stratigraphy and the microfossil sequences through there, so they got some of the hydrologists to go out and sample these wells as they were collecting the, the samples, and so they send this, this guy sent the samples back in, and the paleontologist said, you guys don't know how to sample anything. These microfossils are all mixed up. You got tops and stuff all mixed together. You guys really screwed up the sampling. Well, we didn't think we were that dumb, but it turns out they really were mixed up because the research deposits, as they come back in, mix 
all the material together. So uh, the guy who did this was, was vindicated in the end. <laughs> uh, the, there, there's a geothermal aspect that's, that's um, investigated. We had a postdoc looking at vitronite reflectance. That's looking at the organic matter, which uh, changes over time with heat, so you can sort of determine a uh, thermal history. Uh, my part was looking at the hydrology, the pore water chemistry, because there were saline waters and brines in the crater. We also wanted to just sort of figure out what the, the history of the water in the crater was. <coughs> One of my colleagues was a microbiologist. They're also interested in looking at the microbes down in the crater. Actually, impact craters are, are an interesting environment in terms of, of microbiology and the origin of life because Many people think now maybe perhaps microbes first showed up in the deep subsurface and not relying on photosynthesis. And even on, on colder planets, when you get an impact, you get this large thermal area that can persist for millions of years. So they're kind of interested in how microbes survive in these areas. And uh, my colleague now has actually moved on. She works for NASA. She's uh, in charge of the astrobiology program at uh, NASA. Some of the figures here out of the results. If you're not a geologist, in fact, if you're not a stratigrapher, this probably looks very confusing. But basically, here's our, uh, they looked at a lot of different things. Here's our core hole, our deep core hole. They wanted to compare them with other core holes, basically up and down the Atlantic coast and across the crater. That One of the things they're interested in is how does the whole crust uh, sort of rebound after this uh, effect, you know, over the next million years, you get a, an impact like this, and it takes a long time for the the crust really to, uh, to slowly adjust to that. This was our test hole right here. You can see is a little higher. So at this, and this was uh, a, a hole they did farther south on the crater. So if you look, you can see there's kind of a, a low here in the, in these sediments on top. And the, uh, this is the central uplift right here. This is the way they really dated the crater originally at 35 million years because all these little numbers here are ages based on the microfossils and strontium um, uh, ages. So we're going up in millions of years. So they found the, the uh, sediment right at the top of the crater was about 35 million years old. And if you go away from the crater, the sediments in the sequence below that are then getting older. So that's really the um, way they date the crater at 35 million years. These are um, some of the initial results here. The salinity turned out to be in Chemistry turned out to be an interesting story. You go from fresh water here right at the top. The salinity increases as you go down. This is seawater salinity right here. So you can see as you get into the depth of the crater, the uh, water is saltier than seawater, up to about twice the salinity. Here's the microbe counts as you go down. So there's uh, a lot of microbes, typical of what you see at depth. But then you get this what they sort of call the dead zone, which we think was from heating after the impact. But as you go in deeper, deeper you've got uh, microbes down here, even at depth, that are currently in the rocks, in the impact rocks. So there's been movement of water around here, and, and what we were able to discover was that essentially a lot of this water has been so slow moving that most of it has been there since the time of impact. And in fact, that means these microbes have probably been there for isolated uh, for, for 30 million years or more. Yes, they're living off of sulfate and other you know, chemicals down there, so. This was, this is a slide kind of summarizing uh, some of my results here, but we've got a chloride uh, profile, uh, dissolved chloride in the water here coming down. One of the things we did was look at 
oxygen hydrogen isotopes of the water. We've got a, a profile like that. Basically, what we could do is match this to one-dimensional computer simulations of, of what happens after the impact. And uh, essentially, when this, all this loose material flows into the equator, it's, it's, it's still quite loose. And so over time, it starts compacting under its own weight. And as, as it compacts under its own weight, you're losing pore space. And the only place for that water to go is slowly upward through the, uh, through the overlying material. So we can simulate this in one dimension with simply a very slow upward velocity along with uh, molecular diffusion. And if we do that and also consider the time history of the sediment sequence at the top and it's changing between fresh and salt water, this is our, our pink lines here are what we can simulate. And, and we got a surprisingly, we can come up with a surprisingly good match to, um, to the different chemistry here telling us that this is indeed very likely what's going on, unlike a lot of aquifer systems where you can get lateral flow over tens of thousands of years. Here we've had virtually nothing going on except this very slow um, deposition on top of the crater and compaction slowly uh, driving the water upward and out of the crater. So all of this, these results have been published now. Everybody's sort of the scientist's first results they all agreed to get together and put it in this first volume. That way, um, everybody's first results come out at the same time. That way, the whole thing doesn't come into a competition. One guy publishes before the other and scoops somebody else. So all of, all of this, uh, if you're interested in the details, are in the Geological Society of America paper. that came out last year. It's, it's a huge thing. It's about 975 pages. Um, so after all this, we know the geology of the impact. This is just some interesting things to think about when you're working on these and you're a Christian. What's, uh, what's the theology of an impact? For one thing, we know that um, in most, place, most places, um, deposition of sediment can be very, very slow. And over the, the last two or three centuries, as geology has matured as a science, um, when 300 years ago, a lot of people thought the, the geologic units were deposited by the Great Flood, it became very apparent that a lot of these were deposited very, very slowly. And we had a lot more time involved here than um, five or 10,000 years. But a lot of the, the, the public, that's kind of what they've, they've heard. And so they think, well, the, the current geologists, they think everything was very, very slow. But here we... But, but the flood happened very, very quickly. But in fact, geologists can actually determine when they look at the environments whether things happen deposited very slowly. And in fact, if you want to look for something that deposited very quickly, you can't look much faster than this when you can get two or three kilometers of sediment all being deposited in, in less than an hour. <coughs> so let's think about what was God's role in all this. We've got this huge asteroid coming in. Um, <clears throat> so was God thinking, well, I'm going to just kind of throw these little asteroids in because that's going to kind of help the way life's developing? Or did he just kind of, maybe if you're a deist, you might just think, well, God just kind of allowed these asteroids to come in and impact the Earth. Or maybe he deliberately allowed the impacts to happen. But the, the thought that I like the best is that, is that God knew, you know, millions of years later, that some of his children are going to be investigating this and getting real excited about it. 
And surely he knew that. It was kind of like your, your parents going out and burying Easter eggs, knowing you're going to get excited because you get to go and, and discover them. So I'll leave you with, with those thoughts. Thanks. Yeah. Did, did anybody study the crater for possible effect on the environment for crabs? And yes, they did. I didn't get to... Uh, I didn't get to talk about that, but that little zone where they first went from the post-impact sediment into the very first um, washback material, it was only about two feet long, but there were like three or four or five scientists that all wanted to study that. So they all very carefully divided that up very carefully because they wanted to, they're, they're, the idea of, is there an environment, what's the environmental impact after the crater on the life? There are no known extinction events with this, so it probably had a very regional effect on destroying life, but it didn't seem to have any worldwide extinctions associated with it. I don't know, if, is that sort of your question? Or? Yeah, but long term, maybe it was God's plan to provide environment for blue crabs and There you go. <laughs> Do you have any concerns that the rapid sedimentation that, that you've noted uh, will be used by uh, others to extrapolate rapid sedimentation for, uh, to explain, uh, for instance, younger I don't know. I guess if I was if I was them, I would use it. But um, not that. So if I was them, I would probably use it. But um, um, like I say, I think the main point is you can go into an environment and tell when things happen very rapidly. You can look at the sediment, the the nature of it, the nature of the event, the nature of the energy. I mean, after this, the next 1,500 feet took 35 million years to deposit. So the public you know, just needs to be aware that not everything deposits very slowly. Sometimes we do get very fast depositions, like at Mount St. Helens, you know. We know there are volcanic eruptions, and yes, things often do deposit very quickly. Yep. Uh, did you find oil or gas? Uh, no. Um, actually, uh, off the coast there, if you go off the coast where there's much deeper sediments, Virginia wanted to drill offshore for oil and gas, but um, uh, if there was, the impact probably ruined everything because it burnt it so hot it would have just vaporized anything. So. But actually the water had a very um, uh, very nasty smell of hydrocarbons. There's a whole lot of, of methane and, and um, other things in the, in the deep sections in the sediments. Oh. <laughs> Hey, David. Were you able to characterize the original impact area at all? One of the big questions always has been, was this an asteroid and a comet? So um, some of the people were looking for iridium um, and other rare isotopes to see if they could pick up uh, any of the initial impactor material that was, that was mixed in with the others. And there's a couple of papers that, that did come out that said we think we see a little bit of iridium. Um, whether that was conclusive enough to determine this was an asteroid versus a comet, I don't recall if, if that was true or not. Thank you. Thank you.